Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Schaefer's Market Mashup. Looking forward to a little bit of roundtable action today. Welcome back, Dave Cofton, Jane Street's Institutional Sales and Options Specialist. Dave, how's it going? Good. Thanks, Patrick. Good to be back with you. And uh, yeah, I feel like the market always saves something exciting for when we record. It was uh, election last time, but um Excited to be back here today. Yeah, just for the record, you will be muted if there's any Bengals slander. Hey, I got nothing against the Bengals, man. Niners fans, we can we can be friends. All right, sounds good. <laughs> I also have SIBO Global Markets, VP of Multi-Asset Product Development, Dennis O'Callaghan. Dennis, how's it going? Good. Thank you for having me join in this roundtable. Yeah, you know, you got to have a good Irish name on St. Paddy's Day, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. And last but not least, I have David Litchfield, EMEA, Director of Sa- of Derivative Sales at SIBO. Litch, welcome on. Thanks very much. Good to make my debut. All right. Good to hear. It's been a pretty dramatic year for credit investors. Uh, and then 2021 started off with an even bigger bang. Uh, as of last check, uh, ten, the 10-year Treasury yield has reached levels not seen since before the the market volatility of March 2020, uh, dating back to January 2020, I believe. And then as of this recording, we have a Fed meeting that I'm sure investors will be watching quite intently. It's kind of crazy to believe that it's been almost a year since COVID sent the VIX north of 80. Dave, I want to start with you. What did this past year teach investors about the value of fixed income ETFs and ETF options as a tool for investors. Yeah, amazing to think. It was exactly yesterday, one year ago, the S&P 500 closed down 12% on the day and the VIX finished above 82. It was like an all-time closing high. Obviously, a lot's transpired in markets since then. Markets recovering generally, but one of the big stories has been the role and continued emergence of fixed income ETFs and ETF options. As far as lessons learned, if we go back to those most volatile days of March 2020, the fixed income ETFs, again, showed the resiliency of the ETF structure, not just as a way for investors to efficiently transfer risk intraday, but also as a vital means of price discovery you know, for all credit participants, credit market participants, at a time when so many uh, of the underlying bonds just were simply not traded. In stressed markets... You know, there's a lot to be said for listed, continuously traded, centrally cleared, transparent products like mm-hmm. ETFs. Ultimately, yeah, I think it speaks volumes that the Fed included fixed income ETFs in their bond buying program, the, the SMCCF. It's hard to think of a bigger endorsement than that. Yeah. And then we got kind of towards the end of the year and another milestone, fixed income ETFs collectively surpassed a trillion dollars in assets under management. Uh, pretty amazing how that all played out. As far as on the option side, when we think about lessons learned from last March, I feel it was really a validation that fixed income ETF options, particularly high yield credit puts, uh, could be an effective hedge for investors. Think about the difference between a credit put, uh, like an HYG put, and something like an SPY put. The, the, the HYG put, it's much lower in absolute price terms, and that's a function of the volatility, the implied vol, which is key input to all option prices. Mm-hmm. Um, fixed income 
tends to carry much lower implied vols than equity. Um, could be half as much, could be a third as much. However, you know, fixed income can sometimes experience drawdowns that are on par or at least close to those of equity indices, uh, making them kind of a higher leverage or better bang for your buck. And last uh, last March was a perfect example. You know, if you had bought like a two-month-at-the-money put in HYG during January, February, you were paying roughly about 4% implied vol, while a similar put in SPY was trading for about 12 vol, so about three times um, the price in, in vol terms. Yet, if you looked at the peak to trough drawdown, Yes, equity did sell off a little more um, in excess of 30%, but HYG still sold off 20%, um, you know, a, a pretty severe drawdown. Mm-hmm. So in terms of bang for the buck, credit was um, was actually a better payoff um, relative to cost. So that, that, that was a really interesting takeaway. And I think it's one of the reasons investors have increasingly sought out credit ETF puts for portfolio protection. Now, more recently, Equity and credit markets are very close to all-time highs, um, but it's all about interest rate volatility. It, you, you alluded to it at the top, and that's pushed so many into treasury ETF options to manage those risks. Mm-hmm. Where We're just coming off February 2021. It was one of the highest volume months on record in uh, TLT options that we've ever seen. What specific strategy do you think has evolved in the past 12 months, and where do you see that going possibly in the next 12 months? Volumes have definitely grown, uh, but it's it's really been like a broadening out of strategies. Mm-hmm. When uh, when when I was on the pod last time, we were talking about the election. It was all about event trading, exactly. uh, what we called event vol, yep. and and how people were using SPX options to speculate and trade the event of, of the election, and and how you can kind of back out an implied move. With today's Fed meeting, it's really no different. Uh, you can accept in S, it might not be SPX that you want to focus on. It might be TLTs. That that is definitely kind of the the most direct uh, security when you're talking about the impact of interest rates. So people are bidding up these TLT options. Um, at last check, the at the money straddle in, in TLT is about two percent of the spot price. Um, now that expires this Friday. So if an investor buys that today, mm-hmm. they need an excess move of two percent. In the Treasury ETF to show a profit between now midday Wednesday and Friday, uh, that's a pretty substantial move for Treasuries, and that really shows you the respect the market has given this Fed meeting. Yes. So definitely a lot of event strategies um, mentioned earlier, just in terms of the bang for the buck and just outright puts. Um, people have used uh, outright put strategies in, in credit ETFs over the past year. Put spreads uh, definitely have, have been adopted in, in mass. We're seeing some of the larger trades that you'll see in the products or put spreads. That's when an uh, investor is buying like a near the money put and writing a further out of the money put. And they're, they're cheapening their, their cost, defraying some of that cost by writing the downside put while still getting protection over a range of outcomes, just maybe not the tail outcome. Um, and then as the markets evolved, you know, these are all long vol trades I'm kind of talking about so far, but but you'll see short vol trades. Uh, if an uh, investor thinks, listen, I think this has kind of gone too far and I think rates might be range bound for mm-hmm. a time. Uh, maybe I should look at selling a straddle or selling a strangle, collecting that premium. Now with, with yields as high as they are and the move that we've made, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we saw put riders coming in, you know, thinking bond prices may have found some sort of low for now, that yields may, may have found a high. 
Def- definitely could see short ball trades like that. And then finally, some of, some of the option trades that we see really aren't volatility trades at all. Um, kind of think of them as funding trades or, or synthetic trades, but borrowing the shares um, historically in credit ETFs hasn't always been the easiest, particularly a, a year plus ago and um, in in stocks like HYG, ETFs like HYG. So investors can, can kind of replicate short exposure by buying a put and selling a call with the same strike price. And that, that's not really a play on volatility. That's really saying, how can I use options to, to replicate a short? Um, and more recently, the borrow has become a little constrained again, and, and we've seen more, uh, more volume kind of executing that trade. Yeah, you weren't lying about saying there was a broad uh, array of, of, of strategies being deployed in the past year. It seems like no investors doubt. are leaving no stone unturned. Dennis, I want to take it over to you. Can you unpack the relationship between treasury products and volatility performance? Yeah, there is a relationship, but it's not a simple relationship. Oh, great. Unlike the relationship between SPX and VIX on the equity side, uh, which have consistently strong negative correlations, the relationship between uh, treasury products and treasury volatility is much more complex. At times, such as March 2020, that we're, we've been talking about a lot, the 20-day correlation between the TLT ETF and VXTLT, SIBO's 30-day volatility index based on TLT options, was strongly positive um, at in the 0.85 range. As the price of TLT rose, the VXTLT uh, index rose sharply as well. Mm-hmm. In recent days, however, the the relationship between TLT and VXTLT has, is dramatically different because now it is sharply negative uh, in the minus 0.5 range as VXTLT has risen again, just like March of 2020, and TLT's price has fallen. Yields have risen. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. Uh, I want to bring in Lich here. What does this rise of the treasury yields mean for corporate bonds specifically? So with corporate bonds, there are two components to the risk. There's the credit risk of the issuer. That is, if one lends money to a company, how likely is that company to get into trouble and miss a coupon payment or not be able to repay the loan at all? But in addition to that, there's also the interest rate risk. So as rates rise, the interest one receives on a corporate bond is not as attractive as returns elsewhere. And any shift to the Fed's accommodating monetary policy and any subsequent rising of treasury yields means that corporate bond yields will also rise. That is, their price will fall. So whilst the credit spreads might remain tight, it's actually the interest rate components that might drive that sell-off. Okay. As the the resident EMEA guy here, is there a different dynamic with the European markets that investors should be aware of when they're looking into that? Yeah, I mean, the European investors uh, have been used to an extremely low yield environment of late. Uh, indeed, most of the shorter end of the curves are negative. Even the Greece one year that was above a thousand percent in the height of the kind of sovereign crisis, mm-hmm. yep. even that's trading negative. So I don't think that's likely to change in the European environment anytime soon, given where GDP and, and, and the monetary policy is. Um, but certainly, uh, whilst the bulk of the mandates over here are in local currency, you know, euros or, or sterling, mm-hmm. predominantly as, as they're hedging those local uh, 
liabilities. There's significant ownership of dollar debts, and that's either in explicit mandates or from kind of multi-asset accounts. Uh, and because of the dynamics that we're seeing playing out in that, uh, that environment in, in the treasuries, we're seeing a definite increase in demand for the futures, uh, the corporate bond futures to, to act as protection against those moves. Interesting. So it, it really is mimicking a lot of what's going on you know, here in the U.S. Yeah, the, uh, the European move uh, on the local currency debt might be a little bit later in the day, but certainly the same levers are, are in play in terms of inflation uh, and the monetary policy angle. Okay. Uh, Dave, I want to bring it back to you here. Uh, you know, you talked a lot about the different strategies. Are there any other additional tools available to market participants that where they can express their opinions or hedge their risk tied to the volatility of these interest rates as, you know, where the Fed decision is mere hours away? You know, of the ETF options, uh, Dennis mentioned TLT. It's probably the most popular and the, the purest play on longest term, longer term interest rates. I thought he made a great point about the unique dynamics of stock and vol in TLT, how you can get that kind of price up, vol up uh, movement or price down, vol up movement. Um, so it kind of a tailwind for long options both ways. It's, you know, you don't always know what regime you're in, but I, I think that's, that's really interesting how, um, because of TLT's kind of place as a haven asset, you, you can, you know, buy a call and the price can shoot higher and, and vol can actually go up on that move. Um, there are also options on shorter term treasuries. Uh, those are tickers such as IEF mm-hmm. and SHY. And more recently, with the markets contemplating rising inflation, we've gotten more calls on options on uh, TIPS ETFs. TIP is one of those. And it's worth noting that bonds aren't the only asset class that care about interest rates, right? If you look at the recent performance of tech or growth stocks generally, yes. You know, these these stocks were on fire and then really only took a hit when the specter of rising rates kind of reared its head. Um, you know, one could imagine many investors this past month or whether they're trading Tesla options or options on uh, NASDAQ 100, QQQ mm-hmm. options are in effect, they're, they're making these trades through the lens of, of trade uh, changes in interest rates. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a very good point. Uh, and, and I feel like that is very relevant to a retail investor because they can wrap their head around that a little bit more. Dennis, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, actually, I, I as I began to look at this, I, I looked at a tool that um, um, FT Options, that we a company that we've recently bought because they have some analytics. And I was looking at Vega traded in TLT options over the uh, in recent days as these inflation concerns have crept into the marketplace. Um, on February 25th, I, I saw that we traded 5.0 million Vega in TLT options. And of course, Vega is the option price and price uh, sensitivity to volatility. And so this is telling us how much dollar value there, there would be in a move, a 1% move in, in um, uh, implied volatility. In the vol- the Vega traded on February 25th was about four times the average uh, Vega traded daily in all of in 2021 so far so yeah it's these are exciting times and that vega is has been in manif- has been showing up in other products as well not surprisingly for the vxtlt uh the v went up from tw- went up 5.5 vol points to 26.5 on february 26 so it's um 
strong movements in the, these markets as a result of uh, the, all these concerns, um, inflation concerns. I, it's one of the primary ones, clearly. Yeah, I mean, those are staggering numbers to someone who to to the uninitiated. Um, so we, you know, one thing is clear: we're we're at an inflection point here with longer term Treasury yields, inflation concerns increasing. Corporate credit spreads are still near their lows. Uh, let's go, Dave, Dennis, and then Lich can finish this. Uh, what does this inflection point reveal about investor sentiment? Clearly, a lot of dynamics going on, a lot to unpack. Fundamentally, much of it comes down to the market racing for two things: you know, rising inflation and, and changes in interest rates. If you look at the data, t- traditional measures of inflation. Have yet to really reflect any acceleration there, but but clearly the market is viewing kind of this combination of an accommodative Fed, at least they were as of this recording at uh, at noon here on Wednesday, <laughs> and uh, and broad fiscal stimulus, which we've seen um, those things together are inflationary in nature. And you know if you've got inflationary pressures, could you get into a situation where you you get almost an overshoot of inflation, which in turn has to be met with faster than expected rate hikes. And, that, and that's what you're seeing being priced into the yield curve recently. So then you ask, you know, how is that going to impact credit? You know, Lich talked about those two inputs that go into bond pricing, the, the rate component, which mm-hmm. you can think of as treasury yields, yep. and then the spread component or risk premium. And, and, that, and that's really kind of the, the, the compensation that you get because, you know, the, the borrower might default. You might not get paid back, right? So from that perspective – the impact on different types of credit could be quite different. And specifically when you think about investment grade versus high yield, you know, in, in high yield, the, the overwhelming input and, and most of your compensation for taking the risk comes from that risk premium component, that spread component. So interest rates, treasury rates can move, but overwhelmingly it's, you know, how well you do on a, on a high yield uh, loan is essentially going to come down to, you know, the spread component, and the very things that are driving yields higher right now, this positive fundamental backdrop, you know, the, the vaccines that are being rolled out, the broad reopenings at state levels, stimulus, and you know, this all bodes quite well for economic growth and, and corporate earnings. You know, that, that makes people feel pretty good about the spread component, about, about being paid back. Um, so it, it's less clear, like, how this might impact things like the HYG, um, things, you know, high yield. Investment grade is a lot less clear because when you talk about investment grade, that rate component, the treasury component is a much bigger proportion of kind of your total compensation. And what, so when you're thinking about, you know, do, do I want to get involved in investment grade bonds? Uh, you have to be much more kind of rate sensitive uh, comparing the, the return you're going to get versus kind of the risk-free investment. And, you know, if, if people hear something from the Fed either today or maybe at, at the June meeting that, that they don't like, um, they're probably going to think back to 2013. That was the taper tantrum where investment grade initially hung in there despite rising treasury yields, only to see credit spreads in those investment grade bonds suddenly widen you know, to the tune of about 35 basis points in two months, that, that May and June. Um, that was a, a, a pretty severe move for, for investment grade, but... Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people in the market remember it like it was yesterday and um, def- definitely on people's minds. And then the other questions that kind of remain out there are, you know, how much 
longer or how much further can treasury yields rise against a backdrop of both, you know, a zero Fed funds rate and those low or negative yields globally that Lich touched on earlier. When you think about kind of the relative return that you can earn here in the U.S. versus uh, versus debt elsewhere, you know, can you really justify treasury yields going much higher than they are now? Um, and then and then the on the spread side, can this very positive credit backdrop, you know, the vaccines, the stimulus, things like that, can they drive spreads much below their their pre-COVID tights? You know, and, and if so, how much farther can those those spreads compress? Um, those those are re- really the questions. And and obviously, kind of on the supply demand side, you know, issuers are realizing that the low rate environment won't be here forever. That that leads to an increase in borrowing. There, there's a there's almost a kind of like if not now. It's not now or never kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. And, and on the hedging side, you know, they it, it's got increased borrowing that's more leverage in the system. That's clearly driven more hedging activity. People looking to use a fixed income ETF options, you know, and, and unlike certain spread derivatives, when you when you're holding cash bonds, uh, it's nice to have a product that is a basket of cash bonds. And that's that's exactly what uh, what ETFs are. So I think it's uh, it's no coincidence we're already tracking for for record volumes just based on the first two months in um, in those fixed income ETF options. Right, very well said, Dennis. You got anything to add? Uh, yeah, actually, I was um, one thing that we we are looking at is um, you, the the volatility across the term structure of Treasuries is not uniform. Um, obviously, inflation is going to have a bigger Im- impact on longer dated treasuries and so we're you know that's something that we've been kind of watching and so it's as dave mentioned it's different types but different tenors also have a uh differentially affected by the current environment and lich bring it to a close here yeah for me i think investors are really uh looking at that implied fed put right so Dave mentioned the environment and the taper tension. I think what's changed, obviously, in the last 12 months, 12 months and one day, is uh, the bond buying program that, that Dave spoke about. Yeah, investors are sitting there thinking if there is a significant widening of the credit spread, then the Fed is going to come in and start buying up corporate bonds, mm-hmm. even to the extent of high yield. Right. Um, but then the Fed has got to play off that policy action versus having to increase rates if inflation does get out of control. So there's those two dynamics that are probably going to start pulling against each other at some stage. And whilst I don't think the Fed put has disappeared, I think it's more of a question, where is that strike? Maybe the strike of that put is actually a bit lower uh, and there is scope for a bit more movement in those bond prices than perhaps there was six months ago. Um, So for me, I think it's about that Fed put uh, and, and how badly that inflation pressure is going to cause the Fed to become more hawkish in their policy. Uh, and as I said before, that's why we've seen a, a significant increase in demand for the futures to use as protection. So we, we have two, we've got the high yield futures and the investment grade futures. Um, and to Dave's point earlier about going short, borrowing ETFs can, can at times be a bit challenging. You know, putting together a synthetic short trade via you know, long put short call the futures is a is a perfect instrument for that. You just hit the bid and then sell futures. Yeah, that's an excellent excellent plug there at the end, Lich. I'll open it up then to Dave and uh, Dennis. Do you guys have anything you want you want to plug as we wrap up here? Sure. Just yeah, as I mentioned last time at, at Jane Street, we are a global trading firm, fourteen hundred people strong across U.S., Europe, and Asia. 
uh, our client business, institutional client business spans fixed income to ETFs to listed options, specifically recognized as one of the largest liquidity providers in these fixed income, fixed income ETFs we're, we're chatting about today. Uh, we definitely take pride in our ability to make markets in all conditions across the, those asset classes. So we'll see regardless of what uh, the rest of 2021 has in store. We look forward to, uh, to going wherever our clients need us. Nice. And Dennis, bring us home. In derivative strategy at Seabolt, my area, we are watching fixed income markets really closely and are always seeking to build better tools for market participants. Stay tuned as we work to bring some of these new tools to market. Nice. You hear that, everybody? Stay tuned. Uh, so that's I'm ready to wrap here, gentlemen. Uh, Dave Cofton of Jane Street. And then CBO's Dennis O'Callaghan and David Litchfield. Thank you guys for coming on. Yeah, I mean, like you said, we'll see. Uh, probably calls for a follow-up ep- episode in about six months. But thanks again for coming on, and we'll, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Patrick. Cheers, everybody.